You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our sermon text for this morning in the book of Lamentations. Of course, in the Old Testament, Lamentations chapter 1 verses 12 through 16. Lamentations chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. This is another exciting Sunday for us. It's a really full Sunday morning on top of, you know, all of the normal things that we do and having this opportunity to worship together and to consider God's Word and then to celebrate the Lord's Supper and then to have a time of prayer together as a part of our service and then to enjoy lunch. It's a really full day, but uh, it's a good day uh, because it's full. And we're continuing this morning in the book of Lamentations as we are considering the redemptive power of sadness and sorrow, thinking about uh, the people of God in the Old Testament and the result of their sin and disobedience being God's, God's judgment upon them, though uh, he was faithful to his promises to them. He used all of those experiences to, to carry them forward to his ultimate, the ultimate redemption that now we, we know and we have the privilege of being on this side of the cross when there are so many things in the book of Lamentations that are sort of intention for us, uh, but we are able to, to look at this book and appreciate uh, better how we can understand ourselves because of God's word and to understand our own struggles and suffering and difficulties and uh, to be able to look those in the face rather than dismiss them. So if you're new this morning, this is what we've been considering for the last few weeks and we'll keep working our way through the book of Lamentations. <coughs> This week, I, I read a book that was really interesting to me uh, called Wooden, A Coach's Life by Seth Davis. It's about John Wooden, who is um, the greatest basketball coach of all time. Some would say the greatest coach of any sport of all time. And uh, it was just fascinating. I love basketball. I love uh, to think about the game. I love figures from the game. And, but this book was like 600 pages long, much longer than my normal book. So there was a lot of skimming going on. Uh, but it, there was a lot of skimming also going on in this book because it had so many details. It had so many details about this game and that game and this score and who scored this many points and who was there and what happened after the game. The most interesting part was how it really unpacked so many things about his character. John Wooden's faith and his approach to coaching and the, all the details that went into being uh, an 11-time national champion coach at UCLA. It was just fascinating. But I'm telling you that because one of the things that stood out to me in this book all along the way, even as I, I always have kind of through the week, Sunday sermon kind of running in the background of my mind, was it just really reminded me of something that is impressive. Not everything is impressive about human beings. But one thing that's really impressive is the ability that God has given us to focus in on the details to really pick something apart, to pick apart his, John Wooden's character, to talk about all these details. And it just brought to mind for me this incredible ability that we have, but how it's so often unused in the most important way. Think about the capacity that you and I have, and really all people, because we're made in God's image, to think so precisely about some things, scores and games and stories, or you watch the news, and the news goes on and on and on from every angle, every event. Who's thinking this? What's happening here? All of those kinds of things. I was at the library the other day, and I noticed on the shelf. I don't know why that's happening. 
I noticed on the shelf a book of recipes, but they were recipes of things that were made by a character in a video game. I mean, think about the amount of focus and attention it takes to put something like that together. And yet, we are so unaware when it's most important. We tend to have, I know it's true in my life, it's probably true in yours, such a low self-awareness, and that may be why we are appreciating this book of the Bible and why we appreciate the Bible so much. Because as we heard this morning uh, about what the Word of God is in ABF, one of the things that it does, a central thing that it does, is to help us understand who we are, to give words and meaning to the experiences that we have so that we can understand ourselves better and see our need for Christ all the more. And that's sort of what's coming out of the book of Lamentations for me, and I hope that it's coming out for you as well, because I know that I need this. And today's another day in the, in the abbreviated time that we have uh, for the sermon in our service because of other things that we're doing that are important. We have an opportunity over a few minutes here to consider just three more pictures of how Lamentations puts on display for us what it means to be sinners and to be sufferers and to be people who need God to be gracious to us. The first picture that I want you to see this morning is just as we look at verses 12 and verse 16, is that the book of Lamentations this morning paints for us a really bright, uh, bright might not be the right word, not bright in a positive way, but bright in a clear way, a picture of pain, of the, the, the painful sadness of God's judgment when it comes upon anyone. And here upon the people of God, because of their disobedience, we, we have this picture. It, it, it can give some, some understanding and some self-awareness, some words to even the things that sometimes we feel because of our own sin. So let's look at verses 12 and 16 just to begin, and then we'll follow along with the rest of the passage, uh, 13, 14, 15. It says in verse 12, the people are, are, are saying here, remember that the people are personified as the city Jerusalem, which has fallen to the Babylonians, and it's being used also as a way of describing the, the, the bigger picture of the people of God under God's discipline. They say, is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see. Is there any pain like mine? which was dealt out to me, which the Lord made me suffer on the day of his burning anger. And then go jump all the way down because it ties in verse 16. I weep because of these things. My eyes flow with tears for there's no one nearby to comfort me, no one to keep me alive. My children are desolate because the enemy has prevailed. Beginning in verse 12 really sets this picture for this morning as we look at this text, and, and it is a picture of sadness. Now, I'm grateful that on this morning, we also have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together because it, it reminds us, as we'll see, of what God has done for us in the midst of even our sadness and our great need for his grace. But notice how it sets this tone of sadness, this, this painful tone right from the beginning. In the midst of this downfall, Jerusalem feels desperate. Desperate loneliness. Desperate helplessness. 
this might be something that is familiar to you to a degree, and to others of us, it's not very familiar at all. Maybe that's because the circumstances of your life just haven't been that hard. You, you haven't faced much heartache or loss and sorrow. Or it could be, as I was saying earlier, that one of the reasons that it, it may not resonate as much is that we've thought about this over the last few weeks. We're just really fast to wish that away. I would just rather not face any kind of hardship. I certainly don't want to look into the face of it. I certainly don't want to explore it. I don't want to pick it apart from different angles. That's sort of the default mode of our hearts, you know? But here, we're having an opportunity <clears throat> to look into it and to come to terms with what it really means to be lonely, what it really means to feel helpless. And I think that's really to our good because we need to understand that so that we can look to Christ in important ways. So here is this powerful statement, though, right in the middle of this first verse. And it's that statement that I want you to really hold on to. I've held on to it this week. I sent a little message out to everybody um, just sort of about this and about this simple prayer. That sometimes we feel as though that's all we have to say. That's all I know to say. And they say it again in verse 12. Look and see. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of contrasted with that first sentence is it nothing to you all who pass by? So you're getting the picture that's painted. It's the picture of desolation, despair, hopelessness, while people pass by and they don't even stop. They don't stop to help. They don't notice. So, so you see why they're, they're feeling what some of us have felt at times in our lives as though some really hard things are happening and no one is paying any attention to it. I'm going to turn my mic off because that kind of keeps happening. It's not really, it's happened earlier in ABF too. It, um, sure, I'll try that. Handheld comes. So, look and see, all right? Remember that. This is the prayer that... Uh, follows a sad and sorrowful course, but it's going somewhere. It's not all about sad, sadness and sorrow. That's not the end of the story. It's taking us there. It's putting us through this experience so that we can arrive in the end at the truth of God's grace and ultimately to be, to be helped. And so what is the ultimate trajectory when we focus in and the time that we have on these few words, look and see, the trajectory is taking us to the truth that God sees. That's why they're calling out, because God is the one who sees. When no one else sees, he sees. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never closes his eyes. He is always alert. He's always giving attention to his chosen people. He does see. He does know. And he does help. Even when... The suffering that we experience and the suffering here is at our own or their own hands. That's a striking truth that's really st stuck with me recently. It's kind of coming home to me as I think about it because think about the number of times that you have probably seen stories on the news of someone who commits a terrible crime and then they get what's coming to them. 
you, like me, probably find it very hard to have compassion on them because they're getting what they deserve. We think more about what they've done and what they deserve than the compassion and grace that God has shown us and that we might wish that for them, pray that for them. This is a real difference between us and the Lord. Because the Lord, here as we see this, has compassion on people who are suffering at their own hands. It's their own fault. He doesn't simply say, well, now you're getting what you deserve. Instead, he shows compassion on us, even when our heartache, even when our sorrow and sadness is maybe in part or completely due to something that that I have done. This is something I've been thinking a lot about recently because it seems like I, I say I, I think, you know, lots of people, we don't know how to have compassion for people who suffer at their own hand. That really takes us back to some of what we considered in the book of Galatians because that's the kind of attitude that comes out of the, the legalism of law living, isn't it? We hinted at that. We, we got onto that track a little bit as we worked through that book because we, we saw the way that that kind of self-righteous legalism extinguishes compassion and grace. It doesn't fuel it. It doesn't fire it. But even here, we're seeing people who need help the way that we need it. And then we're finding a different way to approach both our own so- sorrow and suffering and also the sorrow and suffering of others. Notice this in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations. Sometimes we think of the book of Lamentations and we think it's all about sorrow and sadness, but we, we lose sight of some of these key verses. You probably have this memorized. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How striking is that, that this passage of hope and faithfulness and mercy and compassion is right in the middle of a book about sorrow and suffering because of disobedience to God. It shows God's attitude toward us and that we can say with confidence, look and see, because he is the one who actually does see and actually can help. And he knows, he knows what we're going through. These are comforting truths for those of us who can feel them, who can see them, who can be self-aware enough to see our need. So the first application this morning, just thinking about those two verses, 12 and 16, would simply to be this, to seek more that attention from him, to seek after his compassion, to make that a central part of your prayer, to look and see, please, God, look at, upon me in my affliction. Have compassion for me. Show me your mercy. I need you. I'm helpless. I'm lonely. I don't know where to turn. We need more of those kinds of prayers. But then also, the other part that you see on the screen is for us to use that same kind of compassion in the lives of other people. Rather than thinking, well, they're getting what they deserve, we could seek them out with wisdom, and we could show the same kind of attention that God has shown us. This is what we need. This is what people need in the picture of pain. But that's not the only picture. There's another picture, and it's the picture here put another way for us. It's, it's another one of those ways that the Bible is, is taking different angles to help us understand the truth. The picture of sickness is next. Listen to the way their suffering is described in verse 13. 
He sent fire, he the Lord, on high into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, made me faint all day long. The book of Lamentations is painting all of these pictures, and here it's the, the picture of a kind of, of heartache, a kind of heart sickness. The Hebrew word that's used here for uh, sickness is weak, afflicted, sick. The sickness they're describing is like, a, it's like a flood that's come upon them because of their disobedience. And it is reaching all the way into their bones. It certainly is true that they faced physical sickness or physical affliction. But the Bible's getting at something more than that. It's getting at the kind of affliction that we often feel because of our own sin or because of our own suffering. And it's helping us to put words to it. We have so many ways to talk about, when you read this passage, you think about the way that the world talks about it. The world has so many ways to talk about it. Sometimes we, we might talk about this as a, somebody's experiencing a mental disorder, which certainly can be true to have disordered thinking in the midst of sorrow and sadness and lament. Sometimes we think of it as like a, an emotional disorder. We certainly can have disordered emotions. But what the Bible so often does for us is to get us even deeper than that, which is what this text is striking at as the, the fire is going down into the bones, into the depth of our hearts and souls to show that this is really a spiritual disorder. That in these moments of sorrow and sadness, moments of lament because of, of the sin of someone else or the sin of our own, what do we ultimately need? We ultimately need spiritual help and care. Yes, there are physical issues that we address but here, again, the kinds of words that are used in the Bible to describe this despair and worry and anxiety and hopelessness, these all have this central connection to the inner person, who we are in our hearts, in our souls. And it reminds us, again, of where we need the most help. And I'm really thankful that it reminds me of the way that Jesus has entered my world and understood that need and he's brought me himself and his answers. For those who are new to our church, those three words are familiar to those who have been around a bit because we talk about this as a, a kind of three-part plan for ministering to people because this is the way that Jesus has ministered to us. And we can think about that just for a moment because it's helpful for all of us to have this reminder, especially in a text like this, which has so much despair and so much hopelessness and loneliness and, and so many things that we feel. If you look at Matthew 9, 35 and 36, you see how Jesus ministered to people during his earthly ministry. And we can notice these three things. I'll tell you those words again. Enter, understand, and bring. Enter means that he entered our world. He literally came into our world and became one of us and walked our streets. And in walking our streets, number two, he understood. He understood our need. And three, by entering our world and understanding our need, he brought what we ultimately need, the solution to all of our issues in life. He brought himself and his answers, his wisdom, his words. Find these three concepts or words in this passage in Matthew chapter 9. It says in verse 35, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, 
He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Now think about this for a moment in the context of to where Jesus has come. He's come down from his rainbow-circled throne, the Son of God put on flesh onto our streets among us, not among innocent people who are having a hard time, among sinful people who eventually would crucify him, and notice the way that he interacts with them, the way that he interacts with us. He was going through all the towns and villages, and while he was there, he was feeling compassion for them. Stop for a moment and put yourself in Jesus' sandals. Is that what you would do? Is that what I would do? If we came down from our rainbow-circled throne into a world full of our enemies and sinners all around us, people that we knew were going to crucify us not long after that, would we be filled with compassion? Would you feel their need? Would you look at them and say, these are people who are distressed and helpless, and what they really need is a whooping? That's what I would say, right? But he says they need a shepherd. That's, that's the king that we know. That's the king that we serve. This is the God who looks and sees. We need a shepherd. These are the experiences of knowing the Lord, knowing his entrance into our lives and his understanding heart and his ability to bring not just answers, but himself as his answer. And so this is um, another way that we can apply even what we're seeing in Lamentations to our lives is to remember this and to take these experiences that we have of sickness and sorrow and sadness and loneliness and all the rest, the pain, and take it to him with a hope that he will do these very things for us again and again, and we know that he will. The final picture that we see this morning before we celebrate the Lord's Supper is a picture of oppression. So we've seen a picture of pain, we've seen a picture of sadness, and now we're seeing a picture of oppression, which sort of picked up at the end of verse 13, because you notice he spread a net for my feet and turned me back. Notice what 14 and 15 say. My transgressions, that sins, have, formed, have been formed into a yoke, fastened together by his hand. They've been placed on my neck, and the Lord has broken my strength. He's handed me over to those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the mighty men within me, and he has summoned an army against me to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah like grapes in a wine press. These are serious words of the sin, uh, the sadness and sorrow of the disobedience of God's people. Uh, at this point in their story, of course, we know the, how the story continues, but still we're looking at this in the face. This last picture is one of, of ultimate weakness. I love this passage because it does show me that the Bible understands what it means to be burdened. It does understand what it means to be weak. It does understand what it means to feel as though I'm, I'm under God's hand of discipline. And yet it also gives me hope as we continue to move forward and think about the gospel and even celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Notice those important words, formed into a yoke. You know what a yoke is. It's the, 
agricultural implement that is a wooden bar or a frame. And what it does is, is it joins two animals together. It's a, it's a burdensome tool. But again, we cannot help but when we read that word, if you know your Bible well, you cannot help but then move forward in the story to Matthew chapter 11, where we read about Jesus' yoke, which is entirely different than this one. It's the yoke of grace and mercy. You'll know these words, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, for I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what we need to do as we take the Lord's Supper this morning is to be able to take the, the clear reality of sin and suffering that the Bible paints for us, to see it as our own so that we will know in a new way our need for God's grace, our need for Christ. Now, what did Jesus do for us? While we were sinners, he died for us. As we've said, he entered our world. He lived a perfect life in our place. He died on the cross in our place. And then he rose from the dead. And he rose from the dead so that he might call us together. Many of us have experienced that. His calling in our hearts to become one of his and to take upon his yoke, which is not the implement of burden holding our heads to the, to the ground and, and making nice even rows. His yoke is a kind of arm around your neck, an arm around your shoulders, walking with you, caring for you, upholding you. And this is the beauty of the gospel that we consider this morning, and we consider in light of this passage. Because it can be so easy in the midst of our own sadness and sorrow, our own suffering because of sin, it can be so easy for us to lose sight of God's goodness and mercy. And so before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I, I leave us with, with one more verse, Psalm 23, 6. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's that clear reminder of God's promises being, being fresh and new every day, and the promises that we know are keeping us as he walks with us. We want to bring this reality into our, our daily lives, the reality of his mercy and his grace, and especially as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward to distribute the elements, and also we're going to do a little different format today in celebrating the Lord's Supper. We're going to distribute um, the elements now, but then we're also going to sing before we take it. So uh, Isaac is going to come and we're going to lead in a song uh, before we take the Lord's Supper. But I want to pray as they're coming forward uh, as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you today because you're a God of strength when we're weak. You are a God of focus when we are unfocused. You are a God of power when we cannot change our circumstances and we don't know which way to turn. And as we've heard those words today in the book of Lamentations and over these weeks, we are seeing more clearly the kinds of experiences that sometimes we feel in our lives. And we pray that you would continue to show us your grace and mercy and prove to us again and again what you have said, the goodness and faithful love will follow us all the days of our lives. This is a truth that we desperately need, and we pray that you would make us more aware of it, more self-aware of our need, and more God-aware of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.